You know, this morning I'm going to be preaching or speaking about fellowshipping, and we're actually going to be looking at serving one another in a moment, but I kind of feel like I'm preaching to the choir this morning because I have this group that is down here in front of me that's come all the way uh, from California to serve here in Hardin County and to help people uh, who have been displaced from their homes. And so I know that one of the things that really marks us as a church in the time that I've been as your pastor, something I've seen and noticed about you, you as a church have a real servant's heart. And it doesn't take long spending time with you. As you know, this is only, I guess, my fifth week as your pastor, something like that. I don't remember if it's the fifth or sixth week. So I would say I'm still relatively new. I know it's not my first week, but I I feel like I'm still somewhat new and learning the ropes. But one of the things I have noticed about you as a church is you have a genuine servant's heart. You desire to serve people. You want to serve your community. You want to serve those who are hurting. And so today, I want us to think about this idea of serving. And we're going to look at a passage of Scripture in just a moment. But I want to kind of just take us down memory lane for a moment and remind us of where we are in our study on Sunday morning. We have started this series that we've entitled, The Church. And we've been looking at different characteristics of God's church. That first Sunday that we looked, we looked at the church, that the church is a believing people. It's a group of people who have trusted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. But the church is also a worshiping people. In this passage of Scripture, Luke said that they gathered on a regular basis for the purpose of praising God. And we looked at worship, and my heart and my desire is the things that we learned about worship out of Isaiah would be what would guide us and direct us as a church always in our times of worship. We also talked about the early church was a Bible people. At the very center of the church, all that they believed hinged on the Word of God. If you remember, it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings. When we heard that word or that phrase, apostles' teachings, we know that is what Jesus Christ handed down to his apostles when he was here on earth. But we also know that involved the Old Testament scripture as well, didn't it? Yeah. So that's what guided them. That's what God, and we talked about the centrality of God's Word, the importance of God's Word being in the center of God's church. And it must be what guides and directs our life in all that we do as God's church. Isn't that true? Yes. We also, last week, we looked at the church is an evangelizing people. And we looked at this passage of Scripture here in Acts, the second chapter, where it says that the Lord added to their numbers daily. The implication of that passage of Scripture is this. If the Lord was adding to their number daily, then that meant the people had to be sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. How else could have God added to their number daily those who were being saved? So what we see here in this church is they were a people who had a heart, a desire to take the good news of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. Now, shouldn't that be all of our heart's desire? As people who follow Jesus Christ, people who have beheld His face, people who have come into a relationship with Jesus Christ, our overwhelming desire should be to carry the good news of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. 
We need to be the hands and feet of Jesus. It's always important for us as God's church to be involved in holistic ministries, ministering to people's needs. But if it stops right there without getting to a clear presentation of the gospel message, we have failed. We have failed. We can meet someone's physical needs without ever changing their eternal state where they're going to spend eternity. And so we must always get to the gospel message. If you remember the words of the Apostle Paul, Paul said, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You see that? That's that's scriptural, huh? At some point in time, we must get to the gospel message. It must be proclaimed. It must be shared. We saw that last week as we read through the book of Acts. Well, I want us this morning to talk about a fellowshipping people because this group of people were characterized also by their fellowship with one another. I want you to listen to what it is that Luke says in Acts, the second chapter. This is our focal passage of Scripture. We've been reading it each Sunday, and then we've been branching off, looking at different characteristics that we see spoken of in God's church, or yeah, in God's Word about the church. So listen to what he says here in verse 41. So those who received his word were baptized... And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, is what the Word of God says. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now, did you notice what Luke said here in verse 42? He very clearly said that this group of people, this early church, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. We looked at that last week. But then he follows it up and says they devoted themselves to the fellowship of the people. Now, I like that word fellowship. I don't know what you think about in your mind when you hear that word fellowship, but the first thing that comes to my mind when I hear that word fellowship is a good old-fashioned eating meeting. Do you know what I'm saying? Did you grow up in that church? I remember when my father was pastor in Burkeville Baptist Church. He would say on Sunday evening, Now, folks, tonight after church, we are going to have fellowship. You know what I mean? You know what I'm saying there? Yeah. And then we would all, after we finished up worship service on Sunday evening, we'd all go over to the fellowship hall, and you know what we'd do? We'd eat those little finger foods, and we'd stand around, and we'd talk. with one. You understand what I'm saying, right? And oftentimes when I hear that word fellowship, that's the first image that comes to my mind is it's going to be a good old-fashioned get You know, I think that's what us Southern Baptists really love to do, isn't it? Get together and eat. Yeah. But I would tell you this morning, fellowship is so much more than just coming together and eating a meal. I'm not saying genuine fellowship can't take place in us sharing a meal together, but it's so much more than that. Actually, the word fellowship comes from a Greek word that means koinonia. 
And koinonia means to share life together, is what it means. Did you hear in this passage of Scripture, several different occasions, he said that they were what? Together. He said that they prayed together, they worshiped together, they met in homes together, they even broke bread together. When I hear these words, it's easy for me to draw the conclusion this group of believers, this people understood what it was to fellowship together. They understood what it was to live life and share life together. Can you see that in this passage of Scripture here? I think we can. Now, I love what Rick Warren says about fellowship. Rick Warren has written a book, Purpose Driven Life, and in that book, he made this statement about fellowship. He said that fellowship is taking all of the one another verses of Scripture we find in God's Word and balling them all up together. And when you ball them all up together, what you have is genuine fellowship. We are to what? Encourage one another. We are to exhort one another. We are to worship with one another. We are to pray for one another. We are even called upon in Scripture to do what? Bear one another's burdens. And the list goes on and on and on. As a matter of fact, the one that's listed more than any other one is this one. We are to love one another. Isn't that what Jesus Christ said? I give you a new command. You are to what? Love one another, is what he said. Well, the one that I want us to look at this morning is one that's a little lesser known. Well, it's probably not lesser known. It just doesn't appear in the Word of God maybe as much as we think it would appear. It only appears one time in the Bible. I think you're going to be surprised. It appears in Galatians, the fifth chapter and the 13th verse, and this is what it says. Through love, we are to serve one another. Do you realize in all of the Bible, right here, all of God's Word, there is only one time in Scripture that we are told we are to serve one another. Now, don't misunderstand me. I think you would agree with me. It's implied many times in Scripture. Isn't that true? that we are to serve one another as God's people. We are to serve one another in God's church. We see it there many times. And the reason I chose this particular one another verse is for this reason. Because I don't think there's a time in our walk with the Lord Jesus Christ where we are more like Him than when we choose to serve when we choose to serve. You say, well, well, why is that, Pastor? Well, let's listen to the words of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Matthew, the 20th chapter, verse 28. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give His life as a ransom. Now think about that. If that's what our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ said, shouldn't that be true for our lives as well today? Shouldn't there be this overwhelming desire in our hearts to want to serve 
one another? I would say, yeah. That should be what motivates us in our relationship with the Lord, to follow His example. Does that sound somewhat familiar to you this morning? Because there's a story in the Word of God where Jesus Christ says to do that. Some of you may already know where that story is found. If you don't know where that story is found, open your Bibles to John the 13th chapter. John the 13th chapter. I love this story. And the reason I love this story is I believe that Jesus Christ exemplifies what it means to be a true servant of God. In just a moment, we're going to read this passage of Scripture, and I'm going to share three truths with you from this passage about what it means to be a real servant of the Lord. But as you're turning there, let me just remind you of a few things that are going on and that are surrounding this story. If you remember, it's the night before Jesus Christ would die the next day on the cross. He has gathered His apostles in the upper room to share the Passover meal with them. As he gathers them there, Luke records for us in his gospel that there is an argument that breaks out among the apostles. You know what they're arguing over? They're arguing over who will be the greatest in the kingdom of God, or actually who will be the greatest when Jesus comes into his kingdom. So Jesus takes that opportunity to teach them a very important lesson. Through his action, his message is going to be very loud and clear. And this is the message that he is wanting them to understand. In his kingdom, greatness is not defined by the number of people who serve you. Greatness in his kingdom is defined by the number of people you choose to serve. Wow, isn't that so different than what the world teaches us? What do we, how do we define greatness in the world's kingdom? Who lords over the most people? Who the big boss is? That's the way we said it when we lived in Zambia. You the big boss? Yeah, Jesus says that's not his kingdom. Now, now don't, I don't want you to misunderstand me. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with you being a boss on your job. That's not what I'm meaning. I don't want you to leave here thinking that. There's nothing wrong with owning a business and operating. That's not what I'm saying. But I think we need to look at the example of Jesus Christ when it comes to servanthood because I believe in this passage, He helps us to truly understand what it means to be a real servant. Listen with me, or read along with me here in John, the 13th chapter. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it in the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's, uh, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from the supper table. He lay aside his outer garments and, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. 
he came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was, who was to betray him. That was why he said, Not all of you are clean. Verse 12, When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garment and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also are to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a master greater than the one who sent him. Now listen to verse 17. I love what it says here. Listen to the words of our master, Jesus Christ. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Do you hear what he said here? I think it's so key. Jesus didn't say you're blessed if you know these things. It's not what he said. Did you notice that? He said if you know these things and put it into practice, then you are blessed. You know what Jesus is saying? Jesus is saying you can have all of the knowledge you want in the world and still not be blessed in life. True blessing in life comes when we put into practice what we know to be the truth of God's Word. Actually, that's when true spiritual growth happens in our life. We can come and gather around God's Word every week in a worship service. We can hear God's Word preached and taught, and we can leave, and if it doesn't change our life, if we don't apply it to our life, we will never grow in our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. It is only as we apply God's Word to our life that we actually grow in our relationship with Jesus Christ. Do not simply be hearers of the Word of God, be doers of the Word of God. Our churches are filled with hearers but not doers. Do you see that? That's what Jesus Christ said in this passage of Scripture. You are blessed if you do what I say you should do. Jesus is putting the responsibility on us to apply what it is that he has taught in this passage of Scripture. I think through this example, Jesus Christ shows us what it means to be a true servant of God. I want to share with you quickly this morning three truths about being a real servant, a true servant of God. Number one, true servants serve out of humility. They serve out of humility. Didn't you see that in this passage of Scripture? It is so clear. Did you hear how John started this passage of Scripture? He says here in this passage of Scripture that the hour had come 
for Jesus Christ to depart from this world. Jesus Christ knew that the cross loomed on the horizon. In just one day's time, less than one day's time, Jesus Christ knew that He would hang on that cross and He would die for the sins of the world that he would draw his last breath, they would take him down off of that cross, and they would place him in a cold, dark tomb. Jesus knew all of that. He was all-knowing. He knew what was getting ready to happen in his life. And in spite of that, what does Jesus do in this passage of Scripture? In spite of knowing what lies on the horizon, Jesus Christ chooses to get up and wash His apostles' feet. Now, if I were being really honest with you this morning and I knew today was my last day here on earth, I don't know that that's the decision that I would make. Can we just really be honest with one another? If it was your last day on earth, would you choose to get up and wash people's feet? I don't know that I would. You know, I've got a bucket list of things I want to accomplish in this life, and so maybe I'd work on those a little harder. Or maybe what I would really like to do is spend a little time letting some people serve me. You see what I'm saying? But to serve others, and much less to wash people's feet? Did you know in the first century the most menial task that could be given to a household servant was to wash people's feet? Only the lowest of the lowest received that job. The one who was on the bottom rung of the ladder was the one given the responsibility of washing the visitor's feet. And what do we see Jesus Christ do here in this passage of Scripture? Jesus Christ chooses to wash His disciples' feet. What a picture of humility when we look here. Think about it for a moment. Jesus Christ is the sovereign God in human flesh. He has all authority. He has all power. John says in this passage of Scripture, everything has been placed in Jesus Christ's hands. And what does He choose to do? He chooses to wash His apostles' feet. What an example of humility. It has been rightly said, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's simply not thinking of yourself at all. Can we say that was true of Jesus Christ in this passage? Surely he wasn't thinking about himself, was he? It seems to me that he was thinking about his apostles. He chooses to wash their feet. Now, shouldn't that be the kind of humility that marks all of God's people's lives? In a world where people are seeking to climb the ladder of success, and it doesn't matter who you have to step on just as long as you get to the top, I think it is so important for us to remind ourselves in God's church, we have been called to clothe ourselves in humility. Isn't that true? Yeah. 
true servants serve out of humility. But not only do they just serve out of humility, we see something else in this passage about Jesus Christ. We learn this, the second truth. True servants serve for an audience of one. Did you notice that in this passage? For true servants, it's not about receiving recognition. It's not about having your name in lights or getting a plaque on the wall. It's not even about getting your name on a building somewhere. True servants serve at the pleasure of the master. Do you see that? Let me say that one more time. True servants serve at the pleasure of the master. Isn't that what Jesus Christ did? Over and over again in the Gospels, we hear Jesus Christ making this statement. He makes this statement, I have not come to do my will, but to do whose will? To do the will of the Father. In the Garden of Gethsemane, what do we find Jesus Christ doing? He's praying to God about removing the cup of suffering. And as He's praying about that, He closes that prayer with these words. He says, Father, not my will, but Your will be done. Again, in John, the, uh, the sixth chapter, in the 38th verse, Jesus Christ says, I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of the Father. Over and over again, we hear Jesus Christ making this statement that He has not come to do His will. Jesus Christ, even though He was equal with God the Father, served at the pleasure of the Father. Do you see that? Isn't that so clear in this passage of Scripture? I want us to go back to this scene for just a moment. I want you to think about the scene. Jesus has stripped off his outer garment. He's wrapped himself with a towel. He's picked up a a basin of water. He goes and he washes all 12 disciples' feet. He doesn't miss one of them, all 12 of his apostles. In two or three hours, in the Garden of Gethsemane, in His greatest time of need, Jesus is going to be arrested by the Roman guard, or the temple guard, actually. And as they come to arrest Him, you know what happens? Eleven out of these twelve men forsake Him. They leave Him. They flee. One of those eleven men deny His very name. They, matter of fact, when we understand in the original language, Peter cursed the name of Jesus Christ the last time he denies Him. One of the twelve in the upper room that night betrays Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. And he still washes every one of their feet. My goodness. That just absolutely blows me away. When I look at this story, I ask myself the same question every single time. Why is that? And I can only come up with one answer. It's true servants serve for an audience of one. They don't serve based on what others think. They don't even serve based on how they're treated. Do you notice that in this passage? 
They serve to bring honor and glory to the Master's name. They serve for an audience of one. But I want you to go back to this text, and we're going to see this last truth here in this passage of Scripture. The last truth that we see in this passage of Scripture is not only do servants serve out of humility, and not only do they serve for an audience of one, they also serve for joy in life. True servants find joy in life. I want you to listen to the words of Jesus Christ again in verses 15, 16, and 17 from this passage. For I've given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you. Blessed are you if you choose to do them. Blessed are you. I would suspect if I were to conduct a poll concerning people's number one desire in life, high on that list would be happiness. Would you agree with me this morning when I say that? I would. I can't count the number of times I have heard a person make the statement, what's most important in life is my happiness. Above all else, people want to find happiness in this world. They may put it in many different terms. They may say, well, what I really want is to be rich, or what I really want is to be famous, or what I want is something else. But essentially what they are saying is, if I achieve those things, it will bring happiness to my life. Is what they believe. Isn't that true? Yeah. It is. Now, what if I told you this morning... I knew the secret for living a happy life. Would you believe me? I do. You know what the secret is to living a happy life? Being a servant. Living a life of servanthood. Jesus in this passage of Scripture said, if you will do this, you will be blessed. You will be filled with joy. You will find true happiness in this world if you choose to be a servant, is what he says. Isn't that crazy? People are looking everywhere for happiness, and here it is. Serve others. That's what Jesus Christ said. Folks, when we humbly serve others and we serve for an audience of one, then we will enjoy true happiness in life. Jesus said, if you will do this, you will be blessed. Do we truly believe that? Jesus did. He said it. He was all-knowing. He must be right. If we truly believe it, then we must live it. Serving others leads to a life of happiness. Perhaps this ideal of happiness is best summed up in a story that I heard this week. I'm going to share this story in closing, and I want you to listen to it. It's a story about a successful doctor in Southern California who met Jesus Christ and left his lucrative practice to serve in a third world country. His non-Christian partner couldn't believe that he would do this. 
on one of his trips around the world, he stopped by to see his former partner. The Christian doctor was performing surgery on a poor woman in very primitive conditions. The non-Christian said, don't you remember how much you would have made doing this surgery in Southern California? The doctor replied, yes, I would have made many thousands of dollars. Then why are you doing it? His one-time partner asked the question. And this is what he said. There are several reasons that I'm doing it. First, you see her clenched fist. In it are several coins that she will give to the mission. Do you see those kids sitting in the room next door? They will be forever grateful if I can save their mother's life through this surgery. But the third reason, he said, is the most important reason of all. I want you to listen to what he says. The reason I serve where I serve is I long to hear the words of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Well done. Let me ask you a question this morning, believer. Is that the desire of your heart today? To stand before your master one day and him to look upon you and say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Well done. Or will God look upon you and there be a sense of disappointment in his eyes because you were a believer but you chose to chase after the things of the world rather than to serve and follow the example of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Well done, my good and faithful servant. I'm going to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes this morning. I'm going to have a word of prayer for us. And after I have a word of prayer, we're going to enter into a time of invitation. I want to encourage you to respond in whatever manner the Lord would have you to respond. Father God, we love you and praise you. We thank you for this day. We thank you for how you have spoken to our hearts, Lord, through your word. Father, I pray that each one of us would take the opportunity to examine our lives, to look into our hearts, to see if we're serving in the capacity that you would desire for us to serve. Father, if there's someone here this morning who doesn't know you as Lord and Savior of their life, I pray today would be the day that they're drawn into a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Lord, you have your way in our hearts and our lives through the rest of this service. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.